Just before we start, before we launch into Philippians, which we'll be in this semester, I want to talk a little bit about what we do on Thursday nights. Thursday nights, you'll hear me say a lot that we hope, our prayer uh, is that you find RUF to be a safe place to process. We want it to be a safe place to process for the convinced and the unconvinced alike. To come and examine the truth claims of the Bible and of Christianity and of the gospel. And the way that we do that on Thursday nights is that we open the Bible together. One of my favorite illustrations to explain why we do this uh, comes from the last Batman movie with Christian Bale in it, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, This is slowly, sadly, becoming an old illustration. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But in that movie, Bruce Wayne, who was also Batman, spoiler alert, um, he's kind of having an argument with his butler, who's been very close to him his whole life, uh, Alfred. And Alfred finally says to him in the midst of this argument, it's the truth, Master Wayne. And it's about time we stop playing around with the truth and let it have its day. I love that quote because we believe here that the Bible teaches that the truth will have its day. And we also believe that the Bible teaches and says about itself that it is truth because it's God's word and God is true. And so we know no better way to look into that truth than to open the Bible together. And so most semesters, what you'll find is that we will pick a book of the Bible and go through it as best we can. And this semester, I'm happy to announce, uh, we are looking at the book of Philippians. So if you have your handout or your Bible, let us read here the first 11 verses of this letter of Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Philippi. Let me pray uh, before we do that. Father, we thank you for another year. We thank you for RUF. We thank you for the time that we have to open your word together to consider it. We pray, as we always do, that this would be to us your word. That you would speak, that you would speak words of truth, words of grace, and words of life. And that you would speak them into our hearts. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me here, Philippians 1, the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you dear in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is God's word for us tonight. Yet another uh, old pop culture reference. I can't even remember how old it is. But uh, y'all remember that song, Happy, 
by Pharrell Williams. I won't uh, try to remake the video up here myself, but you remember that song, Because I'm Happy, right? Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Right? It's a great song. Uh, We should all go out and make a video right now. It's a catchy song and and people making their own videos to that song was a thing for a time, maybe a day, I don't know. But uh, I caught Pharrell, I don't know, I wasn't watching Oprah, but Pharrell Williams did an interview with Oprah at one point. Uh, And they began talking about this song and how it blew up. Uh, and how it went viral and how it became such a how, how it became such a popular song and really blew his career wide open. And so Oprah begins to talk about how pe- the popular thing has been that people have been making music videos to the song. And she turns around and she says, let's watch some of them. And they play uh, a bunch of videos and they're videos from all over the world, all over the world, peoples and villages and cities and all over the place making their own videos to the song. And as they're watching together, it's just the two of them, not an audience or anything. It's just the two of them. As they're watching it, Pharrell Williams just begins to weep. And then they begin to talk about it, how he feels, why he felt that way. And basically what he begins to say is that he weeps because it moved him that a song that he had written produced what it was about, right? Happiness. That he looks at um, he looks that, that what moved him was a song and a video that he had made about something that he was passionate, passionate about happened to pierce through all the circumstances, through all people's wherever people were and whatever time and place they were. It pierced through all of that. And it was something real and tangible to people around the world. And it moved them. Paul has wrote several, several letters in the New Testament. And this one we read is to the church at Philippi. This letter, the letter to the Philippians, is often referred to as the epistle of joy. Because one thing that you'll see Paul doing as we move through this letter this semester uh, is that he will tell us that there's something in the gospel that produces a joy that is real, that is solid, and that is ultimate, that permeates all of life. And you'll see him, whether he's talking about relationships, whether he's talking about suffering, whether he's talking about false teaching and truth or persecution, or whether he's just talking about how, do you, how are we right with God. Whatever he tends to talk about in this letter, it all comes back to this theme of joy. That there's a joy, a real, solid, and ultimate joy that permeates all of life and that we can find that joy and that we can lay hold of that joy in the gospel. And so that's what I hope we will begin to open up this semester. Tonight, what, I, what you may have already gotten a flavor of as we read this passage is that Paul talks about the joy that he has known purely because he had relationship with the believers at Philippi. So we're going to talk about joy in relationship tonight. Relational joy. We see for here, Paul, I'm a Presbyterian minister, so I like three points, and that's what we're going to roll with. Um, He says that his relational joy leads to three things. Thankfulness, assurance, and prayer. Okay, so let's look at these. The first one's thankfulness, right? And right out of the gate here, Paul just kind of bursts with thankfulness. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, right? He's bursting with thanksgiving as he remembers the relationship. That he has with the believers at Philippi. He 
calls it a partnership, but it's not just any partnership. It's a gospel partnership, he says. And then he speaks in these strong terms, right? Verse 6, he says, I hold you in my heart. You can't fake a comment like that, right? Verse 8, he says, God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a lot of affection, by the way. All the affection of Christ Jesus. Look, we know when you read in Acts, Acts 16, around there, the founding of the church of Philippi, and we know from this letter that Paul and the believers at Philippi had been through a lot together. There was these deep bonds that they had, and we kind of know this by basic experience, whether our own basic experience or from hearing of others' basic experience, that deep bonds are forged when you do life together with people. I know that's like the catchy Christian phrase, let's do life together. Not trying to go there, but... Right? Deep bonds are formed when you do life together, people. And when I say do life, that means the ups and the downs, not just the cool things that we like to do together. All of life. When we do all of life with people, it creates deep bonds. I heard uh, one of the best illustrations I heard of this came out of the, the Boston Marathon bombing uh, back in 2013. Uh, back in 2013, there was a 17-year-old girl, uh, Sydney Corcoran, who had been running that race with her parents. When the bomb went off... Uh, They were separated. Her mom was injured and she was injured. But she was separated from her parents while her father attended to her mother. Uh, And there's a man named Matthew Smith that ended up finding her and attending to her and stayed with her until the paramedics arrived. And as the accounts go, he probably saved her life by being there to attend her until paramedics could get to her. They'd never met before, right? They only spent a couple of severely traumatic minutes together. But there's a story that recounts how Matthew Smith actually found Sydney where she was in the hospital and he went to see her. And she recounts it like this. She says, the moment I saw him walk through the door, I knew it was him. And I began to weep. Right? Deep bonds are forged when we go through things together with people. And again, Paul says this relationship that he has with the church at Philippi, the believers at Philippi, he says it's a gospel partnership. That sounds like one of those churchy things we say. Let's have a gospel partnership. Um, But think about what he's saying. What, What would a gospel partnership be? A gospel relationship be? Well, I think it simply would be this. A relationship founded and formed on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. That's what a gospel partnership is. Uh, And what did Jesus do, right? Jesus ran headlong into the carnage of this world and this life and our sin in this world and in this life. But he did it. He didn't do it just at the cost of injury to himself. He did it at the cost of his own life. Why did he do that? To restore us to relationship with himself and ultimately to restore us to relationship with his father. And then ultimately what? To restore us to relationship with one another. That's what what a gospel relationship is. And so Paul is saying that all that Jesus has done for me, all that Jesus has poured into my heart, I'm telling you, fellow believers, overflows now in me toward you. And I mean it. We, We get that Paul means it here. So I have a question here for you as we consider this at the beginning. You look at the things Paul says here. Do you have people in your life that can say things like this to you? I think it's probably even a silly question. We all want that, I think. But the question is, do you have people in your life that can say things like this to you? A pastor named James Forsyth, he says it like this. You know, most of our relationships are based on one of two things. Proximity or affinity. 
Proximity being just the people that we're around. We form relationships with the people that we're around. This could be the dorm that you live in. You now have these new relationships, if you're a freshman, with these people that live on your hall, uh, whether you want them or not, right? It's in, they're in proximity, they're in your relationship. It could be your major. Uh, you could have just gone through recruitment or rush, right? And now you've got 100 to 200 brothers and, or sisters. And you're in proximity with them, basically, and that's why you're now friends. Um, You'll find out really quickly, this was probably a lot of your high school relationships. Because now that you're at different colleges, you probably won't keep up as much. Or we have relationships based on affinity. Just meaning relationships based on the things that we like to do together. But usually those relationships don't really go beyond that activity. We don't really know each other. Imagine this. Imagine someone saying, I yearn for my Fortnite buddies. I had to throw Fortnite in there on the first night. That's actually a bad example because I've actually, I think a few of you might say that. Um, But think about what Paul says and why he means it. Okay? You see, this is what we're getting a picture of is that Christians are called to deeper relationships than what we're typically used to. What we typically give ourselves to. And, And you see that at the founding of this church, the people that were together. And this is the thing. You look at in Acts 16, you look at the first few people that become Christians there. This woman named Lydia, she's this fine, upstanding religious woman. She believes and she becomes the first convert. And when Paul's in Philippi, the next one is a demon possessed slave girl that caught Paul casts a demon out. The next convert is a jailer who has imprisoned Paul and Silas in a jail. Right. And then to top it off, their founding pastor, Paul, used to murder Christians, by the way. So you just take those four people, the beginning of the church at Philippi. No one would have looked at those four people and been like, well, that makes sense that they're friends. Nobody would have done that. The only explanation for it would have been the love of Jesus that transforms and changes hearts. That was the only explanation. So this is why if you're a Christian, I will be so bold as to tell you this. If you call yourself a Christian on this campus today, I would be so bold as to tell you, you need to be in a campus ministry. You need to surround yourself with a community of believers. Now look, this might not be the campus ministry for you. If you want it to be, we want it to be for you. The thing is, we're not the only one. So you have no excuse. Right? (laughs) But even more than that, this is why we need to be in the church. The local church. The churches here in Startville, where you now live, by the way. To break away from the affinity and proximity relationships that we usually are so chained to. And here's this. This is a big campus. And you're surrounded by thousands of people. But I know for more than a few of you, you have never felt so lonely in your life. I know the feeling. It was me 16 years ago. We need relationships. And so the question is, are you willing to actually take the time and give your time to get to know other people and let other people get to know you? It's both of those, by the way. Paul looks at his relationship that he had with these believers and he bursts forth in thankfulness. Second thing we look at here is Paul's joy in his relationship with the Philippians. It gives him an assurance. Look at what he says there in verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you really look at that verse and you really take in what he says and how he says it, it's actually quite staggering. 
There is zero doubt in the statement that he makes there. It's a very bold statement. And so you've got to ask the question, how could Paul make such a stark claim like this? Well, look at Look at verse 6. Look at what he says. I know that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Starting to see why Paul can be so sure. Because what Paul is saying is, look, I know that the work that was begun in you was the work of God. And I know that God always finishes what he starts. And so I am sure of what I just told you. That's what he's saying there. Think about what Paul doesn't say. I really want you to think, maybe this is a preacher thing, but think about what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, look guys, I preached my best sermons ever when I was with you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, y'all were so smart and so attentive and y'all took such good notes and asked such good questions. I'm sure you're going to persevere to the end. He doesn't say that. No. But Paul remembers what happened there. And he says, there's only one option as to what happened when I was with you. It was the work of God. And we actually see this when you read in Acts 16. Just to give you some context, it's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And we read before he gets to Philippi that there are three or four places that the Holy Spirit explicitly forbid him to speak the gospel. And because of those roadblocks that he endures, he ends up in Philippi, this prominent place in Macedonia. Okay, And then when he's there, usually when he would visit a city, he would go into the synagogue where all the religious upstanding men would be. And he would preach the gospel and he'd go back and forth with them and see who believed. But we don't get a record of that in Philippi. Actually, we get a record of him going outside of the city to the banks of the river, a place of prayer where there are just women. I say just women, because back then in Old Testament and New Testament times, uh, a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in court. And guess who the first person to believe is? A woman. And we read this in Acts 16, 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul remembers when I was with you, there's no other explanation as to what happened other than it was the work of God. And so now you see when you look at verse 6, Paul can look and remember his friends in Philippi and say, I know where you are headed. And I know the end that you will, you will make it to. And I know that you will make it there. Because it's not up to you. And it wasn't up to me. It was a work of God. We're beginning to see the gateway of what finding assurance in this life is all about. And so it is for all those who truly believe. That we can know, that we can have a confidence, that we can have a full assurance. Now if you don't have that, doesn't mean you're some less of a Christian. But we are told and encouraged over and over again that we can have it. It is attainable. And we're beginning to see the keys of how we get there too. Because Paul looks at this and says, look, it didn't depend on my faithfulness or my strength. It doesn't depend on your faithfulness or your strength. It depends on God's. That's why I'm sure. Look, we've all heard the token illustrations. If you grew up in church or grew up around church people, you've heard the token illustrations of salvation or of uh, maintaining the faith in this life, right? We're all like a man drowning in the sea. But God loves us and He's cast that life preserver to us, right? We need only hold on. 
Or we're all like the deathly sick person laying in their bed. But God loves us and He has the elixir of life we need only take and drink. Look, those are neat illustrations. Maybe, maybe they even fit your life at some points. They're not gospel illustrations. They're not. Because the problem with them is they depend on you. And that's not the gospel. You see, the church, Christians, come to God through the gospel. Christians stay with God and persevere to the end by the power of the same gospel that brought them in. It's not about your strength. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not about your passion. It's not about your zeal. It's about God and His love for you. And the fact that He promises that the things that He begins, He always finishes. Why do you think the reality of assurance is so hard for so many of us? If you're anything like me, it's hard. It's not an automatic, like, yeah, I have assurance, you should get some too. Right? It's not like that. If you tell your friends that, shame on you. Um, Go back to Sunday school or something. Um, You know, we say things, whether out loud or maybe we just say them in our own hearts, right? We say things like, I know God loves me. Or like, I know God is at work. Or, I know everything will turn out for good. I know the Bible says that. But it just isn't doing anything to my life. I, look, first hear me. I get that, and I've felt that often. But could it be that the reason we don't feel it, the reason that it doesn't affect our lives, it doesn't change our lives, is because we don't really know it. Do we really know it? The best illustration I can think of is, is this. I hate spoilers, okay? So if a movie or something I'm passionate about comes out and you come up to me and tell me what happened, I'm going to kick you. All right? That's a promise. I hate spoilers. And I remember this one time, there was a football game. Uh, I was a youth minister. And I, take, I would take in my youth group on like a fun activity during the day. So I missed this football game, but I had recorded it. And I was dead set, like, I am not going to find out the score of this game, and I'm going to watch it and enjoy every second of it, right? And of course, as we're loading the bus, at the end of like three or four hours, I've made it all the way through without hearing anything about the game, we're getting on the bus, and this little 13-year-old, I think of it, and I still want to punch him in the face. (laughs) He told me the score. I really almost killed him. It was bad. Why did it upset me so much? Because football's an idol. Wrong sermon. Um, (laughs) Why was that upset? Because it wasn't just about knowing the outcome for me. I wanted to experience the game, right? I wanted to, you know, I I didn't, it wasn't just about knowing the outcome. Knowing the outcome would have affected my experience. So you see what Paul is saying. We have something in the Christian life that we can know, that is sure, and it will be sure the day that Jesus comes back and gathers us all to Himself. And if you truly know that, it will change you. It will. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle to believe it sometimes. Look, I like to say, this isn't necessarily true, but I like to say in the Gospels, the four Gospels, there's one guy who understood faith. And you know who it was? It was the guy that came to Jesus and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? 
It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with it, but we are being told we can know it and it will change us. Paul was writing to a group of people, right? He hadn't seen them in a while. They believed the gospel it had changed their lives for the better. But they're now living in a world that's growing darker. Christian persecution is amping up. People are being fed to animals for sport because they profess Christ. Maybe their own personal lives are down. And maybe they were thinking to themselves, I thought it was supposed to be better than this. And Paul is saying, look, when I think of you, I'm reminded of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Be encouraged by that. Some of you, this may be your fifth year on campus. It may be your fifth day on campus. And you're already thinking to yourself, I thought it was supposed to be better than this. What if you could find a group of people that's purpose was to remind you what God has done, what God is doing, and what He will do. That's what we want this to be. We promise. We'll fail at it, I'm sure. But that's what we want here. And it's my invitation to you to keep coming back and find that. This is what we're to be to each other. So Paul's joy in relationships with these believers has led him to thankfulness. It's given him a sure assurance. And finally, it leads him to prayer here in verses 9-11. Uh, 9 through 11. Let me sum up this prayer like this. This is what Paul is praying. As you look over verses 9 through 11, Paul is praying this. He's praying it for the Philippians, but by implication, he's also praying it for us. That we would daily be growing and becoming what we already are in Jesus. Paul's prayer for us is that we would be daily growing and becoming what we already are in Jesus. Remember that call to worship we read that He has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of His Son. He elsewhere says that those who are in Christ Jesus are new creations, not will be. And so this is his prayer, that we would daily be growing and becoming what we already are if we are in Christ Jesus. Another way to say it is that he's saying because you are secure in God's grace, my prayer is that you would now live in, by, and through God's grace. He's praying, I want it to do something in your life. And it should be doing something in your life. You know, there's a saying that I've heard. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, There's a saying that if you haven't asked this question, well, if the outcome is already secure, why do I need to worry how I live? If you haven't actually asked that question, then you, you don't truly understand grace, right? If you don't truly understand God's grace, that He has done everything for you, right? If He's done everything for me, if the outcome's secure, then why do I need to worry about how I live? Then, uh, and then some say that if you haven't asked that question, you haven't truly understood grace. And, and in a sense, I say amen to that. But at the same time, let me put it another way. If you're tempted to live like that, like you don't need to worry about how you're living, I would also add, you don't understand God's grace. It is so secure, it's not up to you. I know where you'll end up. 
But it's so powerful, it's going to change you. And that should be evident in your life. Again, uh, James Forsyth really drives us home with a great illustration. He talks about this time uh, where he ran in a marathon for the first time. And he ran it with a couple uh, uh, that he knew. And they're on like a city bus on the way downtown to the marathon. And, and so they begin talking amongst the three of them what their goals for the marathon are. And the couple, they've done a few marathons. And so they're talking about their goals about different time intervals, where they want to be after so many miles, right? So finally they look at James and they say, well, James, what are your goals for this marathon? To which he thought and he said, don't die and finish, right? Don't die and finish. Because think about it. And he puts it like this. You see, if you're worried about whether you can make it to the end or not, you don't worry about how well you're going to run. If it's in doubt to you what the end is going to be, you're not worrying about how to get there. You're just hoping you survive. But you see the beauty of the gospel here, right? Is that the gospel says, because of what Jesus has done for you, you will make it to the end in victory. And because we can know that, we are freed up to run. We are freed up to live this life. We are freed to live without fear, without self-doubt, without self-loathing, without shame, without guilt. I'm freed to take my eyes off of myself. I'm freed from constantly judging myself by my performance, by my passion, by my circumstances. I'm freed to get my eyes off of those things and run the race. Because the end is sure. And look at what Paul says here. What will happen. He says it there in verse 9. Paul says what that's going to look like is that your love is going to abound more and more. Do you remember when flash mobs were a thing? Um, I don't even remember what that was. It was couple days or so um everything lasts for a couple days or so these times but when flash mobs were a thing it seemed like every tv channel had um some sort of flash mob tv show and i just happened to stop on one one night Uh, but i'll never forget it uh because what the setup was this guy he wanted to tell a girl that he loved her uh and the kind of wrinkle in the story was that they'd they'd actually never met uh their whole relationship had been by phone all right this is a great story um and so the whole setup is that, that at the end of this flash mob thing, he's going to be there and, and he's going to tell her he loves her. And so what the setup is, is that her friend takes her out to dinner. And they're in dinner and they're in the middle of the restaurant. And all of a sudden this music starts playing, right? And their waiter starts dancing. But then all the waiters start, all the waiters start dancing in sync. Then all the diners in the restaurant start getting up and joining in this dance, Right? Then her friend gets up and joins in the dance. And she's really freaked out at this point. And the way that it goes, it leads her outside. She goes outside to the street. And there are hundreds of people lining the street, all joining in this dance to the music in sync, right? And then there's that moment where the music stops. And the crowd parts. And there he is. Ready to tell her that he loves her. Right? 
Aww. Yeah, right, great. Every girl wants that. Come on. Um, but I'll never, what I'll never forget about it is at the end, as the credits are rolling, you, you can tell like on her face she's still trying to process it. And she looks in the camera and she says, I just didn't know that there was someone out there that cared this much about me to do something like this. I just didn't know that there was someone out there who cared this much about me to do something like this. Look at verses 10 and 11. I want to leave you with this. He says that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul already has his sights set on as he remembers his love for these people, his friends in Jesus, is he wants to remind them, look, there is a day where all the goings on of this life The good, the bad, the sad, the confusing, the confounding. All of it's going to stop. And there he'll be. And there will be. A bride adorned for her husband, the book of Revelation says of us, the church. I want to leave you with this thought. What kind of people... Would we be if the basis of our relationship to each other was that? A love so sure that it truly can never fail. Think about this. God can no sooner fail you than he can fail the promise that he made to his own son to gather All those whom he claimed to himself. What kind of people would we be if our relationships to each other were completely based on that? I hope, I truly hope if you come back, if you want to make friends here, that you do in some sense find this to be a place where that can happen. It's my prayer for all of you. It's my invitation to all of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would fill us with all the fullness of Christ. And that through that we would abound, that our love would abound more and more. We thank you for this and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.